0: Hi, this is Pastor Tim, and I'm always encouraged to hear what God is doing in your life. Now, if you have a story or a testimony to share regarding a miracle, please let me know at story at citylifefw.org. That's story at citylifefw.org. Hey, I'm looking forward to hearing your personal story soon. Welcome to the City Life Podcast. We're all about making Jesus known. We pray these messages will help equip you to become a follower of Jesus, who is empowered to influence and shape culture. Enjoy the message. Why don't you guys have a seat, and I want you to get your Bibles, notepads out, and uh, get your Bibles open up to the book of Matthew, chapter number 12, verse Nine, Matthew 12, verse 9. Today, I'm starting a brand new series of messages called Rules to Start Breaking. <laughs> come on. It's called Rules to Start Breaking. Will you, will you say it with me? Come on. Rules to Start Breaking. Now, I know some of you are going, wait a minute. I, I come to church to learn more about rules that I'm supposed to do. I, well, actually... Um, I'm, I'm going to introduce you to something here. <laughs> there are a lot of rules we need to break. Really what this series is about is about recognizing what I call add-on rules. They are man-made rules. Uh, some, some of them come to us from the culture. Some come from the church, but they're basically rules that God never intended. And we're gonna have a lot of fun with this. You know, one of the, uh, one of the things, you know, when you think about it, and hopefully this series will help you to think about it, it's it's really amazing how many man made rules are out there, and and we just we just operate by them thoughtlessly. It's like okay, well, that's just the way it is. That's the way I'm going to do it, and we communicate them to other people, and we all do it, uh, but. It's funny, you know, when, when I started thinking about this series and, and, and I, I, was, I was even talking to the creative team several months ago about it, I, uh, the thought that came to my mind about, about rules and, 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 and how rules can get kind of crazy, it, it just it brings back this memory of my third grade teacher at Coronado Elementary School in Hobbs, New Mexico, Mrs. Elliot mrs Elliot now i I have very clear memories of her in fact, I in preparation for today's message, I was hoping to find a picture of her. I discovered that she has since passed on. i couldn't find a picture of her because I wanted you to see Mrs. Elliot for yourself but 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 as this little third grade boy, I recall her to be a tall, frightening woman um I remember she wore, wore pointed shoes. I'll never forget her shoes are pointed. I don't know why that just kind of scared me. I thought She might kick me with that. I, I, don't, I don't know. And, and, and Mrs. Elliott, uh, she, she had these black horned rim glasses and she seldom smiled. Uh, this is 100% truth. She told me on her very first, not me, the, the whole class, on her very first day of school, wrote her name on the board, Mrs. Elliot. And she said, many of you have heard that I'm a mean teacher and they're right. I am a mean teacher. This happened. I mean, G- God was there. I was there. You know, I mean, he, w- he was there because I was there. And so, 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 so she's telling us she's a mean teacher. And then, and then, then she said, but she would be nice to us individually if we followed all the rules. And that was a quite a frightening moment for all of us third graders it was silence in the room and and i remember mrs and i've learned her first name after all these years gladys elliot I remember her writing rules on the chalkboard that seemed to go on and on and on. And then I remember, first day of school, as she's writing the rules, she said, and let me tell you something about chalk dust. If you breathe it in, it could kill you. I mean, it, we're freaking out, you know? I was like, "We wish. I wish there was a marker board, but we hadn't invented those yet. And and She, she carried around, a lot of teachers, I, I remember would carry around a yardstick back in those days, and they would pop us with them or whatever. But she didn't have a yardstick. She had a meter stick. Yes, because she said I do not have a yard stick. I have a meter stick. Because we're abandoning the old English measurement system and when you become adults you won't even know what a yard is so it's time to learn about the meter. And she would, you know, she would use that meter stick on us. Uh, uh, I I was so afraid of her. Now this is true, this is humbling, but it's true that I was afraid to even ask to use the restroom during during class. You know, I, I remember a couple times she's like, Timmy, Timmy Woody, do you do you need to use the restroom? like, yes, ma'am. Oh, yes, I, 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 it was terrible. It was terrible. If you guys have a teacher like Mrs. Elliot? No, no, none of you. I'm sure some of you had a frightening teacher or two. Come on, yes. God rest her soul. I'm sure she's, I, 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 you know, well, I don't even know. But here's what I do know is that my son Devin had a Mrs. Elliot- Act alike teacher. Um, This was his eighth grade Bible teacher in the Christian school he was attending. And, and, and this teacher really, really loved creating rules, and she, she was a Bible teacher, and Devin would come home with some strange things sometimes, like, Dad, she's teaching us this, and I know it's not right, and it was like really strange legalistic theology kind of stuff, and like, yeah, she's not right, and he goes, Dad, go tell her. Like, no, I'm, I'm not going to, just let her, <laughs> she scares me. She's kind of like Mrs. Elliot, reincarnated, all right, and so, but, 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 uh, but, but Devin, Devin said that the, the teacher would always have these contests between the boys and the girls in the class, and he he said, and all year long, the girls won every single contest, every single one. And they come to the last contest of the year, and and, uh, and the final contest, well, naturally, the girls won again. Devin came home disgusted and, about it, and, 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 he, and he told me, he says, here's what the deal is. He says, she's going to bring donuts to class tomorrow, and the girls all get to eat the donuts in front of the boys, and we're supposed to watch the girls and envy them. All right, that's it. My theology is now taking over, and I said I don't think it's very Christian to be teaching children or forcing them to envy the other gender as they eat donuts. Was I right to think that? Yeah. Well, I'll tell you the rest of the story. I don't know. I don't know what. I don't know where I where I the rightness ended in this continuum. But I'll, I'll just tell you the story. Is it okay? I, I'm not. I'm not flawless. I decided I would just go ahead and step in and end this mandate to practice envy in the Bible class. So I told Devin, I said, well, I'm going to bring donuts to your eighth grade Bible class and you can give them to all the boys in the room. Devin was so happy. Thank you, Dad. You're the best dad ever. So I did. I brought this box, big box of Krispy Kreme donuts. I gave them to Devin. He took them into the class, and he got in there. But she took the donuts from him and said, You are not allowed to bring donuts into this classroom. Well... Devin gave me a message. I guess he was using his phone in class that day. I guess he sent me a message, and so I was like, well, I happen to be right outside, so I went up to the classroom, and I said, excuse me, I, I need to take my donuts back. She said, oh, what, oh, what, what? I was like, they're mine. Thank you very much. So I went into the, I, I took my Krispy Kreme out. You see, knowing that lunch was the next period, I went downstairs and waited for Devin in the cafeteria. Um, and when Devin arrived, I gave him the box of Krispy Kreme. He was so upset when he came in. I said, well, look, Devin, here's your Krispy Kreme. Now, I want you just to share these with all your friends, with everybody, just anybody and everybody. Share, share them. Well, she came in and saw me handing Devin the box of Krispy Kreme in the cafeteria, and this infuriated Mrs. Elliott reincarnated. And she let me know that under no uncertain terms would she allow Devin to distribute donuts to his friends in the cafeteria. She said, Sir, I'll let you know it is against the law. I'm going, The law? It is she's, it is against the law for someone to bring donuts into a classroom or any in, uh, into the cafeteria unless every single donut has been individually wrapped from the store. I calmly said, "Devin can share his lunch with whoever he wants. He can share the donuts that I brought him. It's going to be okay." Well, she became... I thought it's over, but no, no. She goes into the school superintendent's office. The Super, school superintendent happens to have my cell phone with her, so she... Cell phone number, so she gives me a call. Mrs. Watts calls me, and she said, uh, "'Could you please come to my office? Uh, there's a Mrs. Elliot Reincarnated is in here, and, and uh, we need to have a little talk.' And so I went over to the superintendent's office, and, and we talked through it, and the superintendent said, "'Well, what he's doing is not against the law. He can do that, okay?' on the way out of the superintendent's office right there in front of the receptionist, a lady that I've known for 30 years, the teacher looked at me angrily, and she says, I'll never forget it. It's the one line that I'll never forget. She says, who do you think you are? God? And i was rep- like, no. I said, but I know him, and you know, I, I, I know him. But, but I'll tell you this much. You make up much more creative rules than God could ever dream up. You love rules, don't you? Now, okay, I was I was over the line, right? Was I over the line? Yes, I was over the line. But it was fun. It was fun. It was fun. I did that, and uh, that kind of just ended everything. Devin was eating his donuts, and and, uh, and and what did I accomplish that day? I don't know, but I definitely had a story, something I will remember forever, and my son will remember forever. But, you know, rules sometimes get in the way of, of life, don't they? Ma- man-made rules. Uh, and over the next few weeks, I'm going to be covering a few rules, Uh such as never fight, never risk, never ask for help, never lose it, and never look stupid. And I'm going to encourage you to break all those rules because Jesus broke them all. And today I'm going to ask you to consider breaking with me a man-made rule called never fight. Devin, why don't you come up here, and and since you were the one who was with Mrs. Elliott Reincarnated, whose name I won't share publicly because she's still alive, I want you to hold the rule book here, and I want you to understand this is what people, this is what we're given quite often. It's stuff that just happens to us in society, and you open up the rule book, and here we have, you can open it up, here inside we have rule number one, never fight. Well, today we're going, I'm going to do what so many of you wish you could do. We're going to tear it out of the rule book and we're going to take never fight. And we're going to literally say, never fight, go away because that is not a good rule. It's an add on rule. Yeah. It's a man-made rule. And everyone gets donuts. Ah, I like that idea. I like it. Krispy Kreme, right? Tomorrow. Tomorrow. You have to show up here tomorrow at a certain time and you get donuts. Now, I want to tell you about this rule of never fight. It is an add-on rule, Um, but but I'll also be honest with you. It's very tough uh, for people to break this rule in our culture. I mean, think about it. Didn't Jesus say, turn the other cheek? Isn't he the one who said, those who live by the sword will die by the sword? Of course, that was right after Jesus had told his disciples they need to carry swords and carry weapons to fight. But didn't Jesus also say, blessed are the peacemakers? Okay. Yes, he did. Yes, he did. So the question is, how do you balance all of this? Well, to balance it, I want us to start off by looking at a different passage. Hold your hold your place in Matthew twelve, but I want you to look at Romans twelve, verse seventeen on the screens. And there there's there's some key words here. Paul the apostle wrote this letter to the to the Roman Christians, and he said, "Do." And they, they were under heavy persecution, so he said, "Do not take revenge." Say revenge. Revenge, do not take revenge, my dear friends, but leave room for God's wrath. For it is written, it is mine to avenge, say avenge, avenge, I will repay, says the Lord. Okay, those of you who went to went to school and remember things that your teachers taught you and were not as afraid of your teachers, you can probably recognize that the word revenge would be a reaction. The word avenge is something that is proactive. You see that? You see, the word revenge is something that God says, Paul says, We shouldn't do that. Avenge is something that should be done and that's actually what happens. God actually does that. See, revenge is defined this way. This is important because a lot of fighting, most fighting is the result of revenge. It's your retaliation based upon emotion. That's what we have. We can't do that. Now, avenge... So what God wants to do for us, is justice brought for how you were wronged. Avenge, it is proactive. So revenge for Christians, that kind of fighting is out of the question. And really, when we embrace revenge, what we do is we close the door on God's ability to deal with the person and the situation that, that has you fired up anyway. In other words, when we act on revenge, We take situation into our own hands and we take it out of God's hands. Therefore, God cannot avenge. We're taking God's place, which I would say is a pretty dangerous situation. So overall, basically what Paul is telling us here is lighten up and back down when it comes to these interpersonal squabblings and fightings. In all honesty, that type of fighting is selfish and it's ego-centered. Retaliation. You're gonna get back at somebody. You're gonna find a way to get back at them. They did this to me. I'm gonna do it right back to them. That is simply wrong. Why? It's because you're allowing your emotions to rule you. Instead, what I'm encouraging you to do is to engage your passion. You see, you don't have to give in to your emotions to seek retribution or revenge when you actually engage the passion of God inside of you, which is very different. And it's fighting what I would call a good fight. I'm going to challenge you today to fight good fights. It's it's really a fight of faith, not emotion. Earlier this year, I had a two, uh, just a two-Sunday series called Fight School. I had a lot of fun with that. But I answered this question. I want to just bring it back to you. When is it right to fight? And I shared with you these three times. It's right to fight, to bring about justice, to preserve freedom, and to reduce evil in the world. Though, but, but there are also things we can fight for. And so today, I'm asking that we drop this man-made add-on rule of never fight because Jesus resisted add-on rules. You see, add-on rules in general... They're corrosive, and they're destructive to your own life and to your vibrancy. And I, I believe this. I believe that the pursuit of the man Jesus, God Himself, the one who adamantly resisted add-on rules, will end up resulting in personal joy and fulfillment and vitality. Now, I want you to look in your book, uh, in your Bibles, in Matthew chapter number twelve, verse nine, because this is where Jesus goes nose to nose with some religious folks over made-up rules. See, there was this law at the time that said, said. Uh, I said, "Remember the Sabbath to keep it holy." That was the law. Now, what happened is is people would say they said, "Well, um, actually, actually, part of the law was that you're not supposed to work on the Sabbath." Which, okay, that that was the law, and, and I, I think I think it's a pretty good practice. You, you need, to, in other words, take a day off and honor God. Well, they 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 were really really pushing this thing of not working on the Sabbath. Now, Jesus was a miracle worker. The Sabbath rolled around. So is it right for Jesus to work a miracle on the Sabbath? Dun, dun, dun. Mrs. Elliot's about to walk in the room. All right, we pick up on the story in verse number nine. Take a look at it. It says, going on from that place, actually he's leaving a place where he just had an encounter with some other religious folks and they were mad at him about some other stuff. He went into their synagogue and a man with a shriveled hand was there. So this is a man whose hand was, uh, uh, possibly it was, was, was in an accident or there was a deformity of some sort. And it says, looking for a reason to bring charges against Jesus, the religious folks asked him, saying, is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath? So get get the picture here. First of all, can you imagine taking this guy and bringing him basically center stage, this man who has a physical deformity, and making a big deal about it? is it okay for this guy to get healed on the Sabbath? Because they didn't believe it was because Jesus was a miracle worker. Can't do work on the Sabbath. So Jesus answered him with a little story. He said, okay, let me just ask you a question. He says, is it, if one of you has a sheep and it falls into the pit on the Sabbath, so that's like part of your business, you know, will you not take hold of it and just lift it out? dead silence. He paused for dramatic effect. You could hear a pin drop in the room because they're all going, well, of course. Then Jesus said, how much more valuable is a person than a sheep? Therefore, it is lawful to do good on the Sabbath. So he said to the man, hey, stretch out your hand. And as soon as he stretched it out, it was completely restored, just as sound as the other hand. And that made the religious people angry, so they plotted how they might kill Jesus. You see, this is Jesus resisting an add-on rule. Now, the truth is, this ended up costing him his life. That's How people act sometimes, though, when their add-on rules are rejected, (laughs) even as it was in the superintendent's office seven, eight years ago. You see... In this case, Jesus was fighting against something I call religious legalism, where religious people make up, make up rules that are extensions of things that are in the scriptures, and, and it's really easy to do, but, but I challenge you to start thinking it through when these things come your way, because there's a lot of it in our culture, and I myself, I, I find myself constantly having to reassess, is this, is, is this an add-on rule? Is this something extra? Because, uh, many times I've prided myself, like, well, I've, I, I don't do all those extra add-on rules, and then I. Find some other area of my life where I'm adding on extra stuff. Now, when it comes to to fighting, well, we need to look at that add-on rule. That add-on rule of never, ever fight. Well, I'm going to challenge it. I'm going to say you need to fight. You need to fight for your family. You need to fight against legalism. You need to fight against injustice. You need to fight for those who have no family. The scripture's called some orphans and widows. I'll tell you guys, life is a battleground and not all fights can be avoided. And and, and some fights I believe should be initiated, but as followers of Jesus, uh, you know, quite often we're expected to be humble, so humble and so meek and so mature and so passive and so submissive that we should just go to extraordinary lengths to just sit back and avoid a fight. Well, let's just be docile. After all, I mean, wouldn't a truly humble follower of Jesus just say, okay, I'm just going to sit here, and God, I'll let you do the fighting for me. Ready to go. You know, I believe in God fighting for us. You guys have been around. You know that. But I think that whole line of logic is wrong. Basically, it, it comes from what's in the culture, and I hear this a lot of times. Uh, people say, "Well, I don't want to go to church because it's just it's, it's all about you know tr- trying to be nicer and better. If I go to church, I can be better." And, and it's like, "Well, no, that's, that's that's not the purpose of church." You see, because it's in the culture, and really, this mindset is in the church a lot. I don't like it, but here it is. Here's the mindset. It says churches are filled with nice people. Are well, you okay? Right, right. You guys, are, you guys are nice you know, in general. Well, a few. Okay, most of you are nice, and so so churches. Are are filled with nice people learning from other nice people, except, you know, some occasionally about how to be nicer people and nice people never fight. Let's, let's look at it again. Let me say it clearly. Churches are filled with nice people learning from other nice people about how to be nicer people and nice people never fight. That's the line of logic that's out there. Now I'm not talking about whether or not we should get into a fist fight with someone, but I am talking about whether we should defend ourselves and take on evil or a misguided opponents. I'm talking about whether we should break the rule, never fight, and actually fight. I, I, I don't believe that Jesus ever instructed us to never defend ourselves, even in the passage where it says, turn the other cheek. What I believe is that Jesus was teaching us, based upon the whole of Scripture, of what all Jesus taught, Jesus was teaching us to not allow someone else to control our behavior and get us to react out of our emotions. You see, if I'm hit and I seek revenge, then the person who hit me has control over my behavior, See, Jesus wants his followers to submit to him rather than to our emotions or any of the threats from enemies. See, revenge, what it does is it puts us under the influence of the attacker, not under the influence of Jesus. And you guys have felt that so many times. You know exactly. All of a sudden, you don't feel very much like Jesus when you're doing revenge. It doesn't feel right. You see... As followers of Jesus, we need to recognize that we are warriors and we're in this battle between two opposing kingdoms, the kingdom of light and the kingdom of darkness. But for God's kingdom to advance forward, the followers of Jesus, you and I, have to enter into the fray and we actually have to fight. We need to break this rule of never fight and fight for the right purposes at the right time. Fight for your family. Come on. Fight for your marriage. Fight for it. Fight for it. Fight for your children. Don't just let life happen under the roof of your home. Be passionate about your family and fight for them for good. Fight religious legalism. Fight it. I mean, just take an hour and read through the book of Matthew. First book, And the New Testament. And notice how many times Jesus is hammering away at the drunks and the politicians, the crooked politicians. Look at how many times Jesus is hammering against the prostitutes. Look at how many times Jesus is railing against dishonest business people, drug addicts, con artists, gays, and thieves. Because if you look at that, your list will be frightfully short. Because that's not what Jesus fought against. He, he hung out with the people. He befriended them to give them grace and to bring them into his kingdom because he loved them. So what he did instead is he boldly challenged the legalistic religious leaders. I mean, consider the story of when Jesus healed on the Sabbath that we just read together. See, Jesus knew that this act would violate their add-on rule, and it made them furious. And really, you're going to see this over and over and over in the Gospels. Why did Jesus so tirelessly fight against religious legalism, and why is that actually the bulk of the Gospels? Well, I believe it's because Jesus knows that religious legalism is a cluster of substitute rules the substitute for real friendship and relationship with God. And Jesus hates it because it exchanges this external conformity for internal obedience. And it creates fear and it steals joy. You get into a religious legalistic atmosphere, you're going to find very, very little joy and you're going to find a lot of fear. And I know what I'm talking about because the problem persists today. Jesus didn't wipe it out. See, Jesus simply fought religious legalism because he loves all people and he lived and he fought and he also died at the hands of the religious legalists so that everyone could have relationship and friendship with God on the basis of faith, not by trying to keep man-made rules, which you can't keep all of them anyway. He even said it himself. I mean... I I guess I I wish I could understand why religious, or how religious legalism can get such a handle or stronghold on on, on people, and and I'm not sure, but I would suspect that religious legalism starts off by a a well-intentioned man or a woman They put rules in place that are an extension of something they find in the scriptures, and it's aimed at protecting a person who is weak in their faith. And the rules, at at some point, made some sense, and so everybody goes along with them. But then the rules, over time, become authoritative and on the same level as doctrine itself. And that's where the problem enters in. But in order for it to even get that far, there's a problem. Here's the problem. There had to have been some people who knew the difference between God's grace and religious legalism. And they stood back and they said nothing and they did nothing because they didn't want to fight. Nice people don't fight. Let's just do all this. And that's what is very, very wrong. Christians fight for what is right. So fight for your family. Fight against religious legalism. Fight against injustice as well. And I'm telling you, when you fight against injustice, don't just give it a good talk, but do something. People are being robbed of justice in our city every single day. And it's simply because people don't want to get their hands dirty and don't want to help out. Child abuse. The statistics on child abuse in Tarrant County are heartbreaking. Child abuse is an injustice, sexual abuse is an injustice. Spousal abuse is an injustice. The abortion of little boys and girls is an injustice. Bullying and intimidation is an injustice. And here's my question Will you stand up and do something? Will you fight even though it's not the popular thing to do? See, I believe followers of Jesus need to stir up their spiritual passion and fight. Fight injustice. Fight it with your words and fight it with your actions. Fight for your family. Fight against religious legalism. Fight against injustice and fight for those who have no family. The Bible calls those orphans and widows. Fight for those who are lonely. Fight for people who simply don't have a family. In the task force for race and culture, where I serve the city and our meeting in April, the county sheriff brought a report He stated that 80%, 80% of the prisoners that are being held just a few blocks from here in the county jail are fatherless, fatherless. They never really had a dad in their lives. He also made the statement that there are hundreds of foster children in Tarrant County right now who could use a dad, who could use a family. I started thinking about that. How can we fight for them? And when you get to the end of your life, will you be able to declare that you are a good fighter? (laughs) Well, I hope I will the Bible's most renowned church planter, Paul, the apostle, in what is believed to be his final letter, he's writing to Timothy, a pastor of a church that he had started. These, in a sense, are his dying words. 2 Timothy 4, verse 7, he says, I have fought a good fight. It just makes you want to growl. I finished the race And I've kept the faith. Now there's in store for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge will award me on that day. A reward is waiting for him. Why? It's because he was a fighter for Jesus. He fought the good fight. So will you I challenge you to fight the good fight. It's a fight of faith. It is a spiritual fight that is right. It is proactive and it is godly. It's fighting for the things that matter most to God. It's not about emotional retribution, but it's about passionate purpose. In that same letter to Timothy, his final words, he wrote this earlier in that letter. I love this scripture because it's one of my favorites. He says, God, the Spirit that God gave us, that's the Spirit of God that lives in us, the Holy Spirit, it doesn't make us timid. See, he negates what a lot of people think about Christianity. Well, you receive Christ in your life, now you're supposed to be timid and just kind of hide in a corner. Uh uh-uh. uh. No, no, no. The fighter himself who's getting rewarded from God for being a fighter, <laughs> he's saying, "The spirit God gives us gives us does not make us timid, but it gives us power. It gives us love and it gives us self-discipline." I'm telling you guys, passionless Christianity is a detriment to the work of God in this world. If you're full of God's spirit, even if you have a quiet disposition, which is just fine, you're not timid. <laughs> you're not weak. You're not passionless. See, my prayer is that you will be filled with power, filled with love, and full of self-discipline. And this will drive you from the inside to fight a good fight. It'll keep you from uh, reacting to the, the emotion that happens when your brain tells you that you need to do some retribution. You can begin fighting proactively with spiritual passion because God's spirit is in you, and God wants to do something through you, so he wants you to fight. Today, I'm calling on God's people to fight. I'm calling on God's people to walk out of timidity because the spirit God gives you is a spirit of power and love and self-discipline. Fight the good fight. Fight it. With God's spirit in you, you can fight for your family. You can fight against legalism. You can fight against injustice. And you can fight for those who have no family, the orphans and the widows. And you'll fight with love, You'll fight with humility. And you'll fight with servanthood because God made you. And I want you to live it. Live it. I'd like there to be no movement at this time. I'd like for you just to just close your eyes and focus internally for just a moment here. Many of you are convicted regarding this, and my prayer is that you will allow the Spirit of God in you to rise up and be what it wants to be so you can fight good fights. (laughs) It's your destiny. It's your purpose. It's time to reject passionless Christianity. You may also be here today and you're not a follower of Jesus, you're not in right relationship with Jesus, and you never surrendered your life to him. Possibly you've drifted from a relationship with God, but if you want to know the Jesus that we talk about here at City Life, and you want that new beginning, you want his spirit to be in you, I'm going to give you an opportunity to respond simply by lifting your hand, because faith is when you respond outwardly to what's happening on the inside. Hear me well. Jesus loves you more than you can imagine. Jesus died for you so that you can have life. And today, everything, everything can change. And if you want to be included in this closing prayer and make Jesus Christ the Lord of your life, I'm simply going to ask you to lift your hand at the count of three. That way I can connect my faith with yours. Will you do that? You want Jesus. You're ready to receive his spirit into you. Lift your hand. One, two, three. Lift your hand all over the room. Come on, lift your hand. Thank you. Who else? Thank you. Who else? Thank you. Who else? Thank you. Who else? You can put your hands down. Listen, if you lifted your hand, what I'm going to ask you to do is I would like you, along with this entire congregation of believers, to stand to your feet and to pray with me. Come on, stand up, stand up. Everyone stand, please. I want you guys to pray these words with me right now. Mean them from the bottom of your heart. If you lifted your hand, pray them. Congregation, I want you to pray these words also as an encouragement to those around you who lifted their hands today. Pray this, dear Jesus, thank you for dying for my sin. I believe you're the son of God. Forgive my sin. It's time for me to live. So I give up my past and I embrace the future that you have for me. Thank you for giving me your spirit. Thank you for power. Thank you for love. Thank you for self-discipline. In Jesus' name, amen. Look up at me. If you prayed that prayer and you meant it, I have two things I want to challenge you with. One is to take that Connect card that you have. I want you to complete it, fill it out, and take it over to Connect at the end of the service. And mark on there the decision that you made today. Second thing, here it is. Listen carefully. I want you to be in church for six months. Just do it. Six months. It's not going to hurt you. Actually, it's going to do you a lot of good. Be in church for six months and watch the change in you. You'll be able to look back and say, wow, I am different Well, I hope you enjoyed today's message. You know, City Life Church, we are all about developing followers of Jesus who influence and shape culture. And it's possible that you are even feeling a a shift that is coming in your life or possibly deep down inside you feel called to something more. And City Life might be a part of that future. Let me tell you, Launch Sunday is the big event that's coming up, and it's happening on February 10th, 2019. And if you'd really like to be a part of what God is doing in downtown Fort Worth through City Life Church, I'm asking you to go and visit our website at citylifefw.org and click the Launch button. Uh, you could also just come and visit one of our services because I, I really believe the future is bright and it's limitless in potential. I want you to hear my vision. I want you to be a part of what God is doing at City Life and come and chat with me personally after one of the services.